Hey there, it's Kelly from Zinimi. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you got to do is check it out at zinimi.com slash podcast. All right, on to our episode. Welcome back to starting a private practice podcast where we're diving in deep today with a behind the veil live coaching session with Dr. Corey Goldberg. We'll be looking at Corey's current processes and look at where she has room to grow and make things just a little bit easier that work for her and for her clients. Yeah. And maybe even like learn a little something about what's happening for us internally. Mm. This is a, this is a deep dive y'all. This is a little bit, it's not therapy, but you're going to hear it gets a little close to it. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. So let's let's dive in. in. Hey everybody. Welcome back for the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about that really sexy topic (laughs) of processes. Um, We dug into the first week of like what this, what this is and what it encompasses. Then we talked about those frequently asked questions and sex points. And now we have the amazing Corey Goldberg here, a real human, letting us peek under the hood and challenge her on her processes and also help her get unstuck on the places where things are not in flow in the process of her private practice. Welcome, Corey. Thank you so much. Corey is a psychologist, but well, because you're part of the SIPAC, you can work all over, but you're located in the Chicago area. Um, and I think one of the things that in looking at helping you with this is really, we want to help you find the ease because when we get all stuck and bogged down in this area, this is one of those areas that can suck our energy, right? If we can free up some of that energy, it'll allow for more creativity and other things that you want to do in your practice. Cause you do want to do other things in your practice, right? Yeah. So yeah. how do you feel like we were talking before we started recording? How do you feel about processes? It's a exciting topic or not so sexy topic? It's exactly why I did all those years of grad school was so that I could spend my days talking about things like my legal forms and how I take my notes and all of that. It is. Yeah. There's no class in grad school about processes. It's the kind of thing we don't talk about. Um, and yet it takes up so much of the actual work that we do. It's what allows us to do the actual work that we do. Um, but it's it's not it's not what I felt called to do. It's not fun. And sometimes I find myself kind of pushing back against it and resisting mm. it like isn't working. Mm. So question over yeah. the last 12 months, if yep. you could guess how much energy in like changing or adjusting or shifting your processes have you done in the last 12 months? Um, a, a fair amount. Um, I had shifted my practice in February of this past year. So however many months ago that is, um, I had left my last insurance panel. So it was an opportunity to kind of overhaul a lot of my paperwork and, um, and to think about how that change shifted any of my processes. So largely the paperwork piece. So there was a fair amount of time being spent focused on that. I also had to change my business structure in my state. There was a requirement that we had to move from LLCs to PLLCs if we're professionally licensed. So there was some of that and how that related to processes. Um, And then if I think about the amount of time I spend resisting 
the processes that aren't working so much. I don't know if I get to factor that in, but if I do, yeah. there's a, there's a fair amount of time spent thinking about what isn't working mm-hmm. or thinking about what I should be doing and not doing it. What do you feel isn't working? So I would say that what I feel isn't working that, that comes up most frequently is note writing. And I have tried a lot of different things in a lot of different ways to address that piece of it. And I haven't hit on the right formula for me yet. And I think that it has been intensified by um, switching to telehealth when I switched with COVID. There's Mm -hmm. just, I find, I don't know how it is for other providers, but I find for me, there's more of my energy that needs to be focused in this direction to really connect with my clients and sort of pull that forward towards me in that sort of human interaction and adding note-taking to that um, has me less present for the energy that's needed to connect with clients. So whereas I used to once upon a time, I'm, I'm a very note-takey person. I'd have my notepad and I'd be writing in session mm. and I could do that. And that would allow me to stay attuned to my client and present with my client. And I could handwrite and not have to look at it. And I'd have all this information. It would help me process, but then I'd have to take that additional time to then input it into my electronic health record, like translate what I wrote into what their notes were going to be. That once um, COVID hit and I was working at 150% capacity kind of a thing with clients and you'd have three minutes between the session that now I have to run up the stairs in my house and head to the bathroom or grab a glass of water, what have you, I then wouldn't get that note completed in that time. And then I'd be falling farther and farther behind. So I looked for alternatives so that I could do the note taking more kind of like concurrent during the session and have it be that final electronic form. So I settled on using an iPad and an an Apple pencil and writing it directly Mm -hmm. into my electronic health record that I use. Um, I use simple practice. Uh, but I found that whereas I could write with a pen on paper and know that it would write what I wrote on the paper. If I did the same thing without looking with my Apple pencil, there would be typos, errors. I'd be writing over things. The wrong box would get checked when I'm trying to check a box and I'd have to spend more time, um, catching that proofreading that that would take me away from that energy and session to be like, wait, I can't get this to get in the right box to write it in. Mm. And So I would take kind of cryptic notes there and still have to go back and fill that in later. And I just haven't found the right thing that lets me stay engaged and attuned to my client at the level that's needed, given the particular mode I'm using right now, um, that gets that note written in a timely manner into the electronic health record in an accurate way. Can you, if you were writing on paper, you even showed your little notebook, are you doing that right now? Doing Mm -hmm. the writing on the, on the, on a paper? It depends right now. Oh, I'm always doing something. No, I know Um, something, but I'm like in session. Are you doing? No, I am. So in session right now, it's kind of a hybrid model. I would say if I'm doing a session, like for instance, if I'm doing an outcomes interview, or if I'm doing an intake session where I'm asking a lot more questions and writing down a lot more detailed information, Mm -hmm. I use pen and paper. And then I spend a lot of time on the back end translating that in. Um, But in those cases, I think that's time almost well spent. I'm really thinking about and reflecting on what the client was sharing. Um, Most of the time when I'm in session with clients, I am using the iPad and the Apple pencil, and I'm getting in at least information about what the client talked about, um, what we sort of approached in session. And then I use that to remind myself to kind of fill in 
like the why I, of why I did it. You know, you did such a lovely training on writing notes well and the different kind of things to, to strike on. And one of my takeaways from that was really like, it's important to say why we did what we did. Mm-hmm. And so if I write down what they talked about and what I did, I can usually go back and then fill in the why I did it, my sort of logic behind the interventions. And then um, how long are your sessions typically that you're spending with clients? 53 minutes, 53 minutes as dictated by insurance. I love it, but you're not on insurance panels any longer. I'm not on insurance panels, but it's really important to me um, that my clients be able to access their insurance benefits, the maximum level available to them so that it stays affordable and sustainable. And so I know about the billing codes. I know what the minutes are. And, and Mm -hmm. it's also clinically indicated with the type of work I do and the clients that I work with to do a 53 minute session, as opposed to a 45 minute session or what have you, which I know would allow me more of that note taking time, but would be really, I think, difficult to do with the kind of depth and trauma work that I do to kind of get into things, do the work, stabilize before leaving the session. So what you're saying is, right, for a, for a session to be considered a 53 minute session, right, that really is supposed to be like a 75 minute block right? It's, I think it's 53 minutes to 60 or something like that is what they're, what they're paying. And so part of what I'm hearing is that you're trying to, to do an extensive trauma session in that 53 minutes and only giving yourself seven minutes. You're the one that controls the amount of time after session given, right? So if we have a 60 minute mentality, you're squeezing your note taking into seven minutes. Versus if note taking, but if you move into a 75 minute mentality, I think, what does it mean to honor the change that has occurred because of the pandemic, because of other traumas and losses and all the things that have happened in life, Corey, that what you did a few years ago does not translate to what you do now. And that because of the modality being more online and because of what you need for attunement, what would it mean to honor that? What would it look like to have 75 minutes to do? Because you're saying it's not working for me and you're trying to find some tool when really you have the tools, you have the knowledge, you need the space. But what comes up when we say that? Um, well, that you're, you're astute um, and also... <laughs> Um, and also that then that means um, uh, it stretches out the number of hours that I'm with client, you know, it makes the day longer as opposed to saying like, well, I do two back sessions. I know, I know. Or what? What are or we? Or I see fewer people. I restrict my hour. I know. And, and you yeah. see fewer people, you restrict your hours and? I charge more money. <laughs> I don't know. What's the answer? No, that's the answer. I know the answer. But you didn't say that aloud. And I think that that's that's an important thing that either one of the two pieces, when we're looking at at how the clinical changes that we need, the the changes that we make to their processes so that it works, because ultimately, right, your documentation is about giving your clients a great experience. It's about you having time to process and download what happened. Um, it is about having space in case there's an emergency and somebody, cause seven minutes when you're doing deep trauma work, 
I mean, I could at least one person a week, if not two, is going over that 53 minutes. I could just imagine like, or there's outside stuff that with that client. That's yeah, there's that something, time. there's something happening. I can't imagine versus in, if I have a 15 minute buffer, that gives me a nice buffer that even if something happens, somebody was a crisis, I need to like jiggle it. I have some room to jiggle and I still have time for the bathroom and water and note-taking at seven minutes. There is not a wiggle. Like there's not a minute's wiggle. There's not 60 seconds, Corey. Like there's you've got seven minutes. There's seven minutes before the next person shows up. <laughs> so could we reframe that some of the resistance to processes is actually more around adapting and accepting the changes you need in order to do this work well and to create space because this is your first version of this is one step towards you know changing the caseload size and the fee <clears throat> when you get to the point where you want to do something else you want to add in another stream of income which i know that is a dream of yours you're going to have to do this again well and that's where i feel like i'm a little bit in this space of having opportunity to um, think about and make those shifts because because of the change with insurance and, um, and my fee, I, I have been able to maintain my income, but reduce the number of clients I see by about a third. And that has like allowed me to breathe Mm. and oxygen to flow to my brain and some time and space to think about things and refine some of these processes. But I do notice that the things that come up for me, the resistance that comes up for me, there's two. Number one is just kind of acknowledging sort of an executive function piece of things that for me to have a client that starts on the hour and then the next client that starts on the quarter hour and then to do the calculate, it's going to be difficult for me to understand the flow of my day and to feel grounded in the flow of my day. Um, and then the other piece is just the, that, like, um, proving my worth or defending Mm -hmm. my worth because of, because I, um, my fee is, I think a fairly uh, robust fee. I think that it's an appropriate fee. Um, and I've been able to fill my caseload with it, but, um, there is definitely resistance in me to this idea of, well, to have the time and space that I need to do the high level of work that I want to do and have it be sustainable, I would need to take one more client out of the day to have that time to really write the notes and not have them hanging over my head at the end of the day or a couple days later. I, I just, I notice that there's a resistance to that. So I'm just naming that. That's good. You're aware of that. I think it's beautiful. And I, I totally get you. I thought that like that piece of like the 15 minutes and doing the math, because I have that, oh, I know exactly when something, something ends. And so there's little things we can do in terms of like tricks of like literally having like a little schedule on your notebook that shows this is the time that things begin and end for your schedule throughout the day until that becomes kind of the, um, or that workable, or I was just going to say, like, you can still do that flow, but no, you're not trying to force documentation into that flow right. and you're doing the documentation on the end, but mm-hmm. it still does shift the caseload size. Mm-hmm. And then I know you were going to add more to that. Yeah. And I think the other piece too, is, you know, you talked about like, Hey, 53 minutes because of insurance and I want them to get the most, but what would be your ideal 
way of working? Like, would it actually be having, uh, would it actually be a double session? Would it be doing a hundred minute session and having 20 minutes in between or 30 minutes? Of, you know what I mean? Like, what would that really be in reality is 106 minutes and now I have 15 or I have um, 24 don't minutes. Don't make me do math. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, you don't have to do math. I'll answer for you because I, I have done some of this, Miranda. What I really like is um, extended sessions, mm. 85 minute sessions where I can have the time to talk to the client about how their week went and what they've noticed and what's come up for them, or just talk about their week. And I get to notice like what might have shifted or seem a little different based on what we have been addressing through the work that we've been doing, and then have the time to do that deep work, stabilize, process a little bit of what their experience was, and then like really inhale and exhale that before I engage with the next client and, um, and think about it. And, and so I had done more of that before and I, I have been doing less and less of that um, because I think my story about that is that uh, it's a bigger ask for clients to take 90 minutes out of their day. Um, and it is a higher cost. And and I've spent a lot of time working with different insurance companies and I know some of them will reimburse that really quite well, particularly for things like the EMDR, the, the deeper sort of trauma work. Um, but I imagine some might not. And, um, and then that would be a larger uh, cost for the client to bear. And for whatever reason, I've decided it's my responsibility, how mm-hmm. my clients spend their money. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so aware I know you're gonna fix the broken system <laughs> all, right? by <laughs> all by yourself you're going to manage what people invest in these same people who will go to a retreat that has no therapist at all involved in it that will that will spend this money on whatever the things are for their own internal healing you're going to make that decision for them instead of owning or even being really honest about intensive sessions or where it's at when it comes to EMDR work. And when it comes to doing deep trauma work, I would rather you come in for six weeks of double sessions than 12 weeks of single sessions. Here's been my experience and why we would do that. And how many of your clients are coming in after they've been in pain for a really long time And they are actually looking for significant gains in a short period of time. And we tell them like, Hey, that's unrealistic. You know, you can't do that an hour a week. And that's true. But like, could they do it in two hours a week? Could they do it in one, um, four hour session a month? Like what, like what are your clients truly needing? And could you, as a way of empowering them from a group that's been disempowered and disenfranchised where choice has been taken from them again and again, could you give them choice? Yes. Hmm. But it's also scary. What I'm thinking about is that uh, it needs to be an ongoing and frequent conversation. I think again, where I get in my head and a little stuck is in the initial call, back to processes, in the initial sort of call when I'm consulting with potential clients, um, 
I feel like I give so much information. Like I want to talk about everything and everything that I think of and how this might work and how this might connect. And that's too much and it's overwhelming. And so talking about why a 90 minute session might really be more impactful and more beneficial at that stage of the game feels like they don't have the foundational information and understanding of EMDR and what, yes, Miranda. Yes. You are so true. You're so right. So what do we do to help inform this client before they ever get on the phone? Uh, my website. Your marketing, right? Your messaging, your blogs, your website, so that they come already, <clears throat> already kind of prepared. And even if they're not, right? It's this interesting conversation of, are they there to be educated or are they there to find hope, right? Mm -hmm. You could tell me what EMDR is and all those things, but I truly won't get it till I go through it. Even therapy in general, we have ideas of what it looks like. It looks like whatever terrible things are on TV or those kinds or what our friends tell us. <laughs> we don't truly know what it means for us until we're in it. So what if that consult is talking about that conversation of my sessions are 90 minutes. Here's why I'd rather you go through like what Miranda said, go through longer sessions in a shorter duration. So you can find some relief. I am not the therapist for you. If you want to prolong and, and, you know, pace out 12 weeks, you know, this is how I work. And leaving it more like that, and then always being able to say, I have some blogs, if you want to read about that, I can send you. Mm -hmm. But it really is that consult is more about attuning than educating. Well, and I'll add to the extent that it's useful. I think I am someone for whom working for a long time, having that longstanding relationship can be especially therapeutic for certain clients. And that's, I, I think I do well with that. Sure. However that 90 minutes doesn't have to be forever. And, and as you said, clients are often reaching out when they have experienced a certain level of distress that they're at a tipping point that motivates them to make the call. And they're looking to relieve the intensity of that distress as soon as possible. And particularly with EMDR and the structure of it, like there's some like foundational work that has to happen before the magic happens. And if we could get that done faster, they could start to feel better faster. And then we and can shift if needed. When they're ready to shift, then they have a, then they go into, if they're in an hour slot, that's a 45 minute session. And I will say this. <laughs> I, I, for, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, or like, I want to just describe Corey's like face. If it literally sort of looked like she got hit when I said that, <laughs> like she like, uh, pulled back a little bit, like took a deep, deep breath, breath, like, oh, oh, like I, somebody. Just, I like, noticed my nervous system activation and I took a breath. <laughs> yeah. But there, I think this is where, why we, we do avoid our processes. This is a piece of it is it brings up the stuff that we don't really want to look at. It brings up a lot of discomfort and it's not as sexy as you know, all these other things in our business. One of the things you said, Corey, that stops me is like, I am that, that clinician that could see them long-term. I, my sense of you, just because we know you is that you could rock it anywhere that I put you in any kind of like institution <laughs> system, you would serve people. 
I have no doubts about that. What I want to really get clear on is, but does that work for you and where you're headed with your practice Mm -hmm. to do that kind of long-term work? And it is okay, just because I can, just because I'm great at something doesn't mean it still serves me now. I just want to put that out there. So yes, you can do long-term work, but is that going to fit into where you're headed with your practice? And like Miranda's saying, if so, then it, it probably is going to need to shift into this 45 minute session because you're going to end up with some hairy scheduling <laughs> issues <laughs> otherwise. Right. So just putting that in your, in your mind a little bit. And there, there are ways, right. To have, Hey, everybody comes in on Thursdays. Um, yeah. and you'll do double sessions on Thursdays until we get you to a stabilized place. And then if that may be all you need, but if you're going to keep moving through, I have regular clients that come in once they've stabilized and they do one hour sessions, which is 45 minutes of in-person, um, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays or what have you, like there are ways to, to do that. But again, I think it's ultimately back to, I think you've done so much this year to take your power back and to take ownership of creating something that works for you. And there has been, it's still like very, there's a lot more available to you that you can really put on the table. And this like decoupling from from insurance companies, this decoupling from, oh, there's something coming up about like, this old way of being good enough, um, being valuable enough, being like seen as something, like there's something under there about that, um, that feels like it's tied into that insurance model, but maybe even it was there well before it. And that like that gets fired up as you are opening yourself up to change. Yes. (laughs) What I, but one of the antidotes to some of that good enough stuff that comes up is this outcomes tracking. I think that that is also important in the process. Are you really sitting with and holding in your heart, the transformation that you're providing? Do you really have your hands around that? I, you know, um, an aspect of that for me that is challenging is um, certainly when clients recognize what has been effective for them and the change that has made things available in their life that they didn't know would be available or didn't know how they would get there. That's really powerful and it's very humbling. And I'm, I feel extremely honored and privileged to do the work that I get to do. And um, when clients challenge and confront, it's often questioning my methods and my value. And that is, that sticks. And that's difficult for me to process through. Um, And so that gets in the way. When you say it's difficult for you to process through, have you done EMDR um, on that particular issue? Um, The short answer is no. I would really be, this is EMDR therapist to EMDR therapist, <laughs> talk to your therapist, do some float back 
And let's see what this is connected to, because I have a very strong hit that this is connected to some core stuff. Um, and that you releasing and moving through that would be beautifully serving of your clients. Like it's going to release, it's going to provide all this ease for you. And like those conversations are going to get so much easier, but I think also it's going to mean that you're going to be able to be present with more ease for those conversations. Like right now, I know you, you're totally present. You're there, you're shoving all that into little box, all the discomfort so you can be there for them. But what if that box wasn't like sitting in the corner of your living room and, and it just wasn't there and you could still just be like so much more present. It's kind of like somebody came over to like visit while you're in the midst of moving and there's a pile of boxes in the corner and like, they're like, I don't care. And you're like, cool. But like, I care. Cause like, there's a pile of boxes right there. And I feel so awkward. Like it doesn't feel good. Um, you know, it's coming up for me, Miranda, as you're talking about this and some of the parallel processes as well, because I work with uh, clients, particularly who have like trauma of marginalization, who have felt others, who have felt uh, that who they are and how they are isn't the right way to be. Mm-hmm. As I'm listening to you talking, I have to I have to remind myself that it's okay that some clients won't get me, that they won't like what it is that I'm saying and that they will choose to leave. Mm-hmm. And that that's a valid choice. And it's not a reflection of me. It's a reflection of me being really clear on who I am and what I need and um, how I do my work best. And if that doesn't work for them, that that's okay. They should, there's lots of really wonderful therapists out there and someone else will be just right for them. And that clears up a space for a client who's looking for exactly what I offer to be sitting in the seat with me, getting the help that they need. Yeah. Where do you feel that in your body as you say it? Um, a lightness, just, mm-hmm. just a lifting. I think mm-hmm. if anything from this conversation, it's proof that processes aren't just processes, <laughs> right? They are a reflection of the internal world that we have, and they are just another avenue for discovering the growth edges, you know, that we have for our, our, ourselves, not just for our businesses. And you have done so much to get to this point. <clears throat> and it's so exciting to think about you leaning into this next edge, what that could open up for you. Yeah. So what is your takeaway thus far? If you're just to kind of take a nice deep breath in. <clears throat> um, a takeaway is that creating space for me to engage with the work that I do in a way that works for me is, um, is healthy for me and ultimately best serves my clients. Mm-hmm. That's my takeaway. Awesome. And so you have some decisions to make. Yes. 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 What are some ways I just want to kind of challenge just to make sure that you're coming away with like a clear plan. What are some ways or what's some space you can carve out to, to get some clarity of what your next step might be of, are I going to move to 45 minute sessions? Am I going to move to, uh, you know, 90 minute blocks with 75 minutes, or I'm going to do 120 hour blocks or whatever. What are some things that have been helpful for you in the past to tap in and get real clarity of clinically, here's my, here's my next iteration of how I'm going to be doing my schedule. 
Um, it really helps me to process, which is why I appreciate this opportunity and many of the opportunities. I, I take advantage of a lot of opportunities through ZinniMe um, and that structure, which is also something that I've been doing more and more of, as I said, kind of the space cleared and it let me breathe and it let me really look at what was already there and available. And so I've been re-engaging so much more um, with some of the co-working sessions to just really carve out and hold that space mm. with coaching sessions and talking through things because the processing is so helpful for me um, and giving myself uh, time and space to self-reflect. I, I have been spending a lot more time like carving out hours to just walk and think mm. and allow myself to notice I, you guys recently, um, Kelly, you put out a meditation about, you know, sort of the four parts of self. And I went on a really long walk and listened to that probably eight or 10 times, just over and over and over and re-engaging it where I was at that moment, um, each time and, uh, creating that space allows me to find a lot of my answers within myself. I just need this, the, the time and the space to do that. So that's been helpful. Oh, that's beautiful. Do you think that if we were to check in 30 days from now, that you would have had the time and space to self-reflect and have a sense of what this next iteration is going to look like? I will say yes, not knowing how I'm going to make that happen, but that if I say yes, I will make it happen. Mm, okay. Can you tap into all four parts of yourself for a moment and see if that feels good to all four parts of yourself or if there's a different date or timeline that feels better? What does your heart say? Um, I mean, my heart says that that is the right timeline. That, what does your body say? Uh, a little bit of oof, but, but that that would feel better. Mm. What does spirit say? Um, that it, it absolutely wants to spend more time taking walks outside and thinking. Mm. And what does the mind say? That it's just appreciates being, being brought back into the conversation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But what does the mind feel good about the timeline? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think, you know, for anyone who's listening, when you feel stuck on processes, you feel resistant, or you're trying to find some tool or solution, always come back to yourself. Because sometimes it's not, you're just not honoring what you need. And you're trying to make something fit that no longer fits. Mm -hmm. You've grown out of the last phase of your practice, Corey you've grown out of it and it's time to put on some new clothes <laughs> and it's something that's more tailored and custom for you. You just left some seriously oppressive systems that were forcing heavy clothing on you that did not fit, that was constricting and you broke free from that. And now you're getting to really craft something that fits well, protects you, allows you to also shine and be your best. And I don't see how the world couldn't benefit from that, you know, your clients, your relationships, and just being with yourself in that space. And this is the process of undoing some of that systemic oppression too, 
right? It's that internalized of like, I have to do something this way. I, you know, um, color within the certain lines, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's deeper work than I need a better tool for my notes. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because like, it was this, like my, my brain was like, oh, you know, Apple has this great thing now you can write your notes, you can take a picture and it'll actually convert it to text for you. And I was like, oh, that, that does what it needs to do. And I was like, listening. I was like, that's not yeah. at all what the thing is, right? Like we could, we could throw in 17 different text solutions, but that seven minute window <laughs> is never <laughs> going to be the right window, no matter what. Yeah. Right. So again, going back to some of that outcome stuff and making sure that that's a regular part and working on that piece, like Miranda's saying, maybe EMDR around some of those places of what if I get negative feedback? And you've already, you already processed some of it here, but continuing to do that will allow you to hold to the good, you know, more, it sticks better. Yeah. Um, that's been my own experience. I, I think I'm speaking more from, I've struggled a very long time. Miranda's known this with um, negative feedback. It's been uh, not until the past couple years that I've been able to not be so activated by it. Um, so you're human. <laughs> you're not alone. I just want to also say that I'm really just honored, Corey, that you allow us to be part of your journey, but also that you were so willing to be vulnerable here because that is a gift that I know whoever's listening to this will will cherish. I cherish it. You know, like it's not easy to come on here and open up your guts <laughs> and bear your soul. This, this is soul work. This is not just, like I said, it's not just checklists and mm -hmm. tech. So thank you for being so open and willing. It means a lot. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And I don't just mean being chosen for this conversation. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Mm. Ah. <laughs> I tell you what. Well, if you um if you're feeling ready to jump into your processes, there's no time like the present, y'all. <laughs> Go ahead and jump in. I know it doesn't seem sexy on the surface, but wasn't this a great sexy conversation? This was sexy. <laughs> like I love everything about it personally. <laughs> Corey's like I don't know <laughs> like I still didn't like this this is not <laughs> no I, I I I came out of this better than I entered into the situation oh, and I awesome. feel better and have um have shifts that I can make yeah awesome, awesome. all right until next time y'all Until next time thanks Thank you Thanks for joining us for this episode of starting a private practice podcast and thanks to Dr. Goldberg for her vulnerability and letting us just kind of get in there with her to discover the room and the areas that when you're starting your practice, how processes can really make a difference in how you feel in your day-to-day -day of running a practice. If you have more questions, need more support, or you really are digging the coaching that we are providing here with Corey and the others in the coaching sessions, check out business school. Go to zinnime.com forward slash pod. We've got all the details there as well as some like freebies and special things just for our podcast subscribers like you. Until next time. I hope you loved today's episode. If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay and constantly battling burnout, 
don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable, profitable solo or group practice. Head over to zinnime.com slash podcast to check it out today. Until next time.